Before I go any further, uh, for those of you in-house that wondered, and at home especially, he said, plants. Drew said, plants. He was so excited about spring, he wet his plants. So don't call the church office. Call 1-800-DREW-SELLERS if you want to know for sure. In May of 2022, just about a year ago, a small crowd gathered in Manhattan, right around uh, 7th Street, and uh, they brought their phones to take pictures and videos of what they believed and what they were right would be a historic event. Was it some celebrity showing up? No, nothing like that. No movie being made. Uh, no new wealth on Wall Street. No business opening up. Nothing like that. History being made in Manhattan that day because the last payphone was removed from New York City. A crane came and scooped up the last bank of payphones, put it on a truck and carried it away, and put in its place fast internet access. As now, where there used to be, just 20 years ago, there used to be about 30,000 payphones throughout New York City. Nearly all of those sites have been replaced with fast internet access or charging stations for cell phones. Because once everyone has turned to carrying cell phones, they, they don't really need those payphones anymore. And, and even city officials said most of them that were in place were still in place for nostalgia because we, we don't want to get rid of them. We, we missed them being there. And they reminded us of an older time when we were more in charge of making calls and didn't have to always take calls, but that's why they were there. So the last one in New York City is gone. It's also a reminder that sometimes to get us properly attached to the new, the old really has to go. Even if we leave the old in place, it distracts us, it reminds us of the old. So sometimes the old has to go entirely for the new to take hold and for us to apply the new to our lives the way that we're supposed to. The same is true, it's a good illustration, the same is true of what happens when we trust Christ as our Savior. Uh, as I said last week, as we're moving toward Easter, we're looking at God's application of the crucifixion and the resurrection in our lives. We're going to look at the resurrection during the Easter season, Christ, the historical event of his resurrection. But the question is, what did that do for you? What did that do to you? And what we learned last week is that God designed in his economy, in his great plan, when you confessed your sins and trusted Christ as your Savior, as we read it in Romans chapter 6, you were united with Christ on the cross. His crucifixion became the execution of your old sinful nature when you trusted Christ. And as we'll read this morning in the same way, his resurrection, you are united to his resurrection. So you, you, you and I are no longer dead to sin, and dead in our sins, we're no longer trapped and in bondage to sin and death. We are free because Christ has set us free. But our problem is sometimes we want to go down on the street corner for nostalgia's sake and take a look at the old life. We want to miss that. Or maybe we want to hang on to it just a bit. Instead of remembering that God has empowered us to live a new life in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. If you have your Bible with you, return with me to Romans chapter 6 this morning. Uh, last week we looked at half of Paul's 
description of baptism, which is the reason that he's, uh, he's bringing this up. He is illustrating what happens when we are baptized. But he's giving us a deep dive into a theological look of what happens to you when you are born again in Christ. You trust his crucifixion on the cross to save you from your sins and his resurrection to give you eternal life. So remember that context as Paul talks about it. And the image of baptism is that when a person is baptized and goes under the water, that's a picture of that old life, that old sinner self dying. And then they rise up out of the water. It's a picture of rising to new life in Christ. Paul explains it more deeply in this passage. We're going to start reading at Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. As Paul continues this explanation, we're going to be reminded of the nature of our resurrection. And we're going to be reminded that not only were we crucified with Christ, we were raised with Christ. And you now live in resurrection life. You have resurrection. That's what we mean by eternal life. So we're going to apply that today, ask and answer, what does that mean? And how do I know that I have resurrection life? And and what does it mean for the way that I live. Look at this with me. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Paul says, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Verse 4 again, therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too may we walk in newness of life. Just as you were crucified with Christ when you trusted him as your Savior, your old sinner self died. He paid the price, died in your place on the cross. You are united with him in his resurrection. Most Christians think of resurrection, and and, and this is not inaccurate or incorrect, but most of us think of resurrection as out there somewhere, that at the end of the age, uh, our bodies will be resurrected. That's how God's going to consummate all things at the end of the age, and that's true. At that time, God will give you a new body, a resurrected body, and Christ's resurrected body is a prototype, so to speak, of our resurrected bodies. Uh, The first fruits of our resurrection was the resurrection of Christ. But what we sometimes overlook is resurrection is not not just out there somewhere. It's the part of the process that God started when you came to faith in Christ. When you were born again in Christ, your old self died. You were born again to a new self. And this self, this new person, received resurrection life in Christ. 
God will finish it when he resurrects your body. But if you're, a, if you're a follower of Christ and you know you've been born again in Christ, you are living in resurrection life now. That resurrection, your resurrection is real now. And you're living in that now. The Apostle Paul would say in the, in the letter to the Ephesians when he wrote them, listen to what he said. He said that the same power that God applied in the grave to raise Christ from the grave is the power of God that gives you resurrection. Let that sink in a minute. When you celebrate Easter next week and the next week, think about that. The same power that God issued into the tomb of Jesus Christ that raised Him from the grave is the power of God that gave you eternal life when you trusted Christ as your Savior. No difference. That's how you know you have eternal life. Because the historical resurrection of Christ confirms it for you. And what does that mean for you and me? And how should you understand this new life in Christ? Again, as we approach Easter and the historical event of the resurrection of Christ, today we're going to apply that to us. What that means for you and me. So I want you to look, go back to this passage with me. We're going to look at three things that Paul says about your resurrection. Right now, this applies to you right now, about your resurrection. First of all, the fact of your resurrection. The fact of your resurrection. It's not speculation. It's not supposition. It's a fact. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Paul says the first step was being united with him in his crucifixion, in his death. That's how we, he paid for our sin. And if that is a fact, then so also is a fact that we were united with him in his resurrection. In the Greek language, those opening words, for if we have been, is not a supposition. It's not saying, well, if this happened, maybe this happened. Uh, in, in Paul's Greek language, this is a statement of fact. It, it's saying something like, since we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, then we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And Paul fortifies this because the term translated certainly mean, refers to a logical conclusion. It only follows logically that since you have been united with him in his crucifixion, that you'll be united with him and already are in his resurrection. Why is that? Because they are both the same thing. For Christ, the crucifixion and the resurrection go together. For Christ, it's crucifixion, resurrection. That's what God did. So for you, it's crucifixion, resurrection. You're united in one, you're united in the other. It only follows that that's what happens when you trust Christ. Uh, to seal this, Paul has said, did you notice how much he said, for we know Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. We know that to be true. That old body ruled by sin would be rendered powerless so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Because, listen, a person who has died is freed from sin. In other words, to be resurrected in Christ, to have new life in Christ, you had to die, just like he did. For him to be resurrected from the grave, he had to have a verified death and be sealed up in the tomb. For you to have new life in Christ, resurrected in Christ, you had to have a verified death to the old life to be born again in new life in Christ. That verified death was when you united with him 
in his crucifixion. Therefore, it's a fact, a certainty, that you have resurrection life in Christ if you are born again in Christ. It's not just an out there somewhere, hope so one day, right now. As surely as you were forgiven of your sins, the day you confessed your sin and trusted Christ, as surely as that took place, so did your resurrection. That's your eternal life. And you are forever connected to him in his resurrection. Paul says that in fact Christ's resurrection is proof positive of it. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. The death he died, he died once. The life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, so you too consider yourself dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It's a fact. So that's the first thing. Let that fact sink in. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been born again in Christ, let that fact sink in. And when you celebrate Easter in the next couple of weeks, you're celebrating the resurrection of Christ, but you know what? You're also celebrating your resurrection in Christ because you've trusted him as your Savior. So the first thing is the fact of your resurrection. The second thing Paul refers to is the practice of your resurrection. If you have resurrection life in Christ, how does that impact your life, how you live now? Because as Paul would say in the book of Galatians, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God because I've been crucified with Christ. Now I have life in Christ. How do I do that? Well, Paul says there are two practices that go along with your resurrection life. This is the practice of your resurrection. There are two practices. First is how you think. How you think. Because how you think and what you believe always dictates how you behave. It's true. That's human nature. It's the way God wired us. Everybody knows that. How do I know everybody knows that? Take a look at our culture. The warfare, the division, the dissension in our culture is about ideology. It's about what we believe that will dictate how we behave, that will dictate the policies in our government and our education and our culture, but it starts with what we believe. That's how God created us. That's how God wired us. And the Bible confirms that over and over, including here in verse 11. Therefore, consider yourselves, Paul says, dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We have, a, we have an established fact. You were crucified with Christ. You were raised with Christ. Now it's up to you to get your mind around that and let that belief start dictating your behavior. Therefore, consider yourselves as a very strong phrase. It very literally means press your mind upon this. We would say focus on it, but the more accurate idea would be obsess over it. Press your mind on this. On what? You are dead to sin. You are dead to sin. Sin has no sway over you. Sin has no bondage over you. Sin has no control over you. Your old sinner self died with Christ on the cross. Therefore, consider yourselves, what? Alive to God in Christ Jesus. And as we just read in verse 9, because Christ is alive and will never die again, that means your life in Christ is eternal. It's absolute. It's connected to Him forever. Your resurrection life. Is forever connected to him. See, our problem is, when we don't understand this, and incidentally, you'll notice this is a command, not a suggestion, 
It's not, it's not an idea that Paul says, this would be really great if you would. No, this is a command. If you want to live for Christ, you have to change the way you think. You have to adopt the understanding that you are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. And that's your job, and that's my job. It's a choice we make in how we think. This is why it's so critical that you think about the things of God, that you saturate yourself in the Word of God. That you take responsibility for changing the way you think. Later in the book of Romans, Paul would say we are transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. And it's an ongoing operation and transformation. Every day you decide if you're going to think like the old sinner self and lost people or you're going to think like a new creation in Christ. Every day you press your mind to focus on the things of God or you forget the things of God and you focus on the things of the old life and of the world. You decide. The first step to the practice, the first way to practice resurrection is in how you think. Press your mind on the things of God. Let Him transform you by the renewing of your mind. Then second, Paul says, the second way you practice your resurrection is by how you live. There it is. See how you think? comes first, then how you live follows that. So Paul picks up in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires, and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead. Offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. The idea of offer yourself is to make yourself available. To, to, to make a choice to say, I am available to God. I'm not available to temptation or sin. And remember, temptation is not sin. It's when you gravitate toward temptation, you set your mind on that, you start to act out on that temptation, and it's sin. But you say instead, no, I'm going to set my mind on the things of God, and I'm going to make myself available for righteousness. Not for sin, but for righteousness. Why? Because I'm free. I'm free from sin and death. I'm free to live for Christ. I have this resurrection life that lets me live for Christ. Not to do anything I want to do, but to do what God wants me to do. To finally and forever serve Christ. So I want to make myself available to righteousness. Now what that means is, you are making yourself for God to expose righteousness in your life. To show the world what it means to be a believer. To be a follower of Christ. Uh, the version I read, and we read this morning, calls it weapons for righteousness or weapons for unrighteousness in the case of sin. Your translation might say instrument. The term literally applies to a tool that makes change. Weapons is the strongest way to translate it, but it's not a bad idea. It's not a bad way. It's a good way to look at it because you are handing over to Christ your life to change the world. To show the world what righteousness looks like. Or you're handing over your life to the old sinner self and refusing to think of yourself as one who is dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. So you're handing yourself over and therefore you become a weapon of unrighteousness. A tool for unrighteousness. So which is it? You get to make the choice. The practice of your resurrection life, the practice of your resurrection is your day-by-day -day choice to live for Christ. And you get to see what God can do as he continues to shape you, continues to set you free, continues to show the world how you are changing day by day and your life is changing. And don't miss that 
that's also what this means. If you're living for Christ, your life should be changing. It should show it. If you know that you're saved, you're born again in Christ, there should be real change in your life. Especially that those old sins and that old sinner self start fade into the background. There's, you've broken away from that. That old sinner self died with Christ on the cross. So you're living in your resurrection life. Well, it should show. It should show in your values. It should show in your thought life. It should show in the actions that follow. It should show in the choices you make for yourself, for your family. It should show in trusting Christ for the future and trusting Christ for the present when hard times hit. It should show. It should show that, that you want Christ to be glorified in your life, His righteousness to show up. So you're going to live out that new life in Christ. And when you do that, as Paul says here, you're also demonstrating to the world, get this, you're demonstrating to the world that Jesus Christ is alive. We come to church on Sunday because the first believers changed the Sabbath to Sunday to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, the first day of the week, one year out of all the Sundays, we specify, we, we designate that as celebrating the resurrection of Christ. But did you know when you live for Christ every day, your life in Christ is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Not just about you getting to go to heaven. It's about what Christ has done for you and you're showing the world. You ever had that experience where somebody from your old life said, wow, you've really changed? Somebody pops in. Maybe you knew them in high school or maybe you knew them in college or maybe you knew them back then somewhere when you worked in that place or maybe they're the ones that you participated in that old sin with when you were that old sinner self and you bump into them somewhere and you, they strike up this conversation even before you tell them that Christ has set you free and given you resurrection life. They say, wow, you're really different. Something's changed. Or maybe you bump into that person who knows you've gone through a particularly difficult time. And when you bump into them, when you find them, when they, they find you in Walmart, or you see them in the restaurant or you're pumping gas, and they expect you to complain and to gripe and to, and to be downtrodden and disheartened and in despair. Instead, they find you hopeful and trusting God for the future. And they say, wow, I wish I had that. Living that resurrection life, it should show. Not just one time out of the year we celebrate his resurrection, we celebrate our resurrection every single day that we live for Christ. Then the third thing I want you to see is the result of your resurrection. The result of your resurrection. Verse 14, for, Paul says, here it is, this is why, for sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. Sin will not rule over you. But you're, not, you're under law. Not under law, but you're under grace. In the old life, in the old religion, we lived under law. That's the old self that tried to prove ourselves to God. That said, if I go to church enough, I'll be good for God. If I do this, if I do that, I'll be good for God and God will accept me. I'm a good person, right? But the problem with the law, as the Bible teaches, is the law is not there to save us and set us free. The law is there. The idea that we can be good enough for God is there to show us we can't be good enough for God. 
It's to show us that we are, in fact, sinners desperately in need of a Savior. And the only way to be saved is to trust His grace. So, Paul says, when you're crucified with Christ and then you're raised with Christ and you live that resurrection life, you're no longer under the law, the law that bound you to sin, the law that that pressed you down and made it impossible for you to live freely for God. The law that constantly said, I've got to prove myself, I've got to be worthy, I've got to be wonderful, I've got to be this, I've got to be that. The law that constantly reminded you that you're inadequate, that you're a sinner and you need a Savior. Once you're saved and living in Christ, you're not under that law. Instead, listen to what he calls it, you're under the law of grace. There's another law. There's a whole new set of principles that the believer in Christ lives under, and it's called the law of grace. It's that law that says, when God says to you, I, my grace is sufficient for you. And we know that we're saved by grace through faith. We all learn that as, as believers in Christ, because it's absolutely true. You can't earn your salvation. We're saved by grace through faith. Sometimes we forget that, therefore, now in our new resurrection, eternal life, we live by grace through faith. All your decisions are lived in the grace of God. It's the environment the believer lives in. It's the constant reminder. The constant reminder that Jesus paid it all. And I surrendered my life to Christ. I've been forgiven. The old is gone. The new has come. And now I'm free finally to live for Christ. Author and pastor Tim Keller has a great illustration that I like. He says, you know, when you go in a, in a clothing store and you buy clothes, you always keep that receipt with you, don't you? Until you leave the store. Because he says, if that plain clothes security guard comes up to you and says, hey, let me see in that bag. Are those your clothes? You can show, show him the receipt. And say, Mr. Plain Clothes Security Guard, this is paid for. It's mine. And when the old life creeps up on you or the enemy finds you in the corridors of a haunted past and says, Hey, are you really free? Aren't you still that old sinner self? You say, No. My receipt paid for by the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I no longer live under law. I no longer am bound by sin. That old sinner self died. I have been raised to new life in Christ. I do not have to live that way anymore. I don't. Today, right now, I can choose. To think of myself as born again in Christ and live as one available for the righteousness of God. I can live for Christ day by day. Can you say that today? Uh, believer in Christ, and I think most of us in here can say, yes, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. But let me ask you a question. How do you think of yourself and how does that translate into your behavior? When you get up in the morning, do you consider yourself still that old sinner self? Do you let yourself gravitate to unworthiness? 
to law, to bondage, to sin? Do you, do you hear that, that in your head? Does the enemy speak back and say, you know what, you're not good enough. God never saved you. Or do you, do you know that you're saved, but you still live by the dictates of the old world, of the old life? You still make your decisions by the old life. You still gravitate toward those things. So my question for you would be, and it's a question for all of us, can we change that today? Can you say in your heart of hearts, say it to the Lord, I today consider myself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. My life is in him, not in this world, not in that old sinner self. My life is in Christ. And his, his resurrection is the stamp, the confirmation, the receipt that says he paid it all. I trust him. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute. I'm going to pray for us believers. I'm going to pray for us that in our heart of hearts, if you're struggling with that old life, struggling with that old sinner self, struggling to live for Christ and your new life in Christ, I'm going to pray with you and for us that we would today confirm again, commit again to this fact, I am dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When I leave this place, I live in Christ. I live for Christ day by day. I'm going to pray for us. And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior here or at home, in a moment I'm going to pray for you and, I, and, and with you that you would trust Christ today as your Savior. Repent of your sins. Receive Him into your life. And receive that eternal life from Christ by faith today. Heavenly Father, God, we know that old sinner self raises its head. Sometimes day by day, maybe even now, that old sinner self says, you're not worthy. You were never saved. You can't do this. You can't do that. You're, you're not good enough. You need to go back to that old sin. God, we know that happens, but we know that's a lie. And for every believer in here, God, we know that we've trusted Christ we are united in his crucifixion. We are united in his resurrection. And we are set free to live for Christ today. So renew that in us, God. And maybe there's one or two here that in a moment will need to make that commitment, that fresh commitment at the altar or up front to, to bow before you again, to, to confess to you they've been living in the old life and would rise up again to walk in Christ today. And God, I pray for those here and at home that need to trust Christ as their Savior today. Through a prayer of faith, they would repent of their sins, confess their sins to you, and receive new life in Christ today. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've been living under the law. I've been believing that I could save myself. And I know that I'm not good enough to save myself. But Jesus, I believe and I know that you died on the cross for me in my place. And you're alive today because God raised you from the grave. So Jesus, by faith, I ask you would forgive me of my sin. And I repent of my sin. Turn my back on it today to follow Christ. Cleanse me of sin and unrighteousness. And I ask, Father, you would give me that eternal life, that resurrection life. At this point forward, I follow Christ. Heavenly Father, in this room, home as well, and other burdens, other concerns, other commitments we need to make, God, we... we Ask, Father, you would guide us in that. Show us, God, what we need to confess. Show us what we need to commit to. Show us, God, where we're not trusting you, that we need to trust you in faith for what comes next. Show us this, God. 
And let this be the time, God, that would, would change our lives, fresh and anew, that we would walk with Christ. For it's in his precious name we pray. Amen.